This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Are you excited? Are you? Yes, wow. Uh, we had a great time this morning. It was really fun. So I'm sorry if you weren't here. Uh, so, um, yeah, we had a great time and I want to encourage you uh, to maybe to get that message from this morning, um, because I actually thought I'm going to do the same thing tonight, but during the worship I felt like God's changed direction a little bit on me. Is that all right? Right, go to Hebrews chapter 4, if you don't mind, and I'm reading out of the Amplified. I'm sorry that I didn't give that to you because I, I didn't have it. Uh, verse 16, out of the Amplified Classic, I don't know uh, if you're going to be able to get that up there, but you should have a Bible or a phone with a Bible. Or something with a Bible, right? All right. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. I want to, I, I like the way the Amplified says it, and I'm trying to get to something. So it says, Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. Then it says in brackets, The throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners. Isn't that awesome? That we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. Isn't that an awesome verse? Okay. So another translation just says, let us then boldly approach the throne of God in our time of need so that we can receive mercy and grace, right? But, But this one just adds a lot of words, which helps. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, God's unmerited favor. You have to understand that there is a constant invitation through the cross, through the blood, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Father put out this invitation to mankind saying, listen, I invite you to enter into the throne room so that you can, in every situation, whatever shortcoming or shortfall that you experience in life, that you can find mercy and grace for whatever that is, right? That's why God says to Paul, he says, your weakness perfects my power. I think that's 2 Corinthians 9, 12, right? Your weakness perfects my power. That's the point of grace. So, so the reality is that, that my understanding of my weakness, right, should actually push or thrust me into the throne of grace, where I sit at the feet of Jesus so that I can receive whatever it is that I need for my season to enter into the breakthrough. For what is the throne of grace? He explains it well. It is unmerited favor, right? So what does that mean? It means you didn't deserve it. It means you cannot deserve it, right? It means it's not up to you. You don't get to choose what level of grace you deserve or not, and if you deserve grace or not. He already decided that you deserve it. Does it make sense? So, us, our humanity, often sometimes we want to go because we measure on performance almost everything that we do, right? So everything is a performance mentality, whether we like it or not. Not all of it is bad, but but it it creates a, a mindset where it's always about what do I do, and if I do this, what do I get back? Right? So it's my effort produces a result. With God, it never works like that. Remember, Old Covenant worked like this. In the Old Covenant, you sinned, 
you, you killed an animal, you brought this sacrifice before God, and you hoped that He would accept the, the offering. Right? Because then you get forgiveness of sin. New covenant, God makes a sacrifice called His Son. It's the perfect price for sin, and He hopes that you'll accept the sacrifice. You see the difference? That's enormous. Old covenant, you bring the sacrifice. Please, God, receive it. New covenant, God says, I'm going to sacrifice my son. And he says, please, would you receive him? Everything has changed. That's a big difference between covenants right there, right? So you can do nothing to deserve that. Do you understand that? There is no amount of fasting. There is, I, I do fasting, by the way, so I'm not against it at all, right? I fast regularly, very regularly, right? No amount of fasting, no amount of tithing, no amount of anything can work the grace that you want. It was worked by the Son of God, Jesus. And that's it. It's unmerited favor. That's why it's called the throne of mercy and grace. Okay? So do you understand? I'm just laying a foundation. You can do nothing about it. That's good news. You can't decide whether you want grace or not. He already decided that you get it. You can't decide if you're worthy of it or not. He already decided that you are. Right? It's not up to you. It's completely up to Him. It's completely up to Him. You don't get to choose. You get to respond. You get to respond. That's all you get to do. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that sound a lot easier? Right? He's actually waiting for you to respond to the sacrifice that He made and to go, oh wow, I can actually step into this. Even though you feel like a sinner, it actually says it right there. I want to read it again. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners. Isn't that awesome? You did nothing to deserve it. But He makes the invitation available through the blood of the Lamb, through the resurrection of Jesus, through His name, and He makes it available. He says, listen, if you want, you can come right in and receive mercy and grace in your time of need for whatever difficulty you are going through. And it's unmerited, undeserved favor based on what Jesus did. That's awesome, right? The problem is that we don't do it. Okay? We don't go boldly to the throne. We don't go fearlessly into that place for lots of reasons. And I want to propose something to you or, or suggest something to you that there, there's more. I know Andre has been on that word, I think. I think I heard him talk about it. There's more, right? So there's a world in God that He wants to open up over every believer, right? It's available, but only the bold, the fearless, and the courageous will get it. And this is not to do with where you do missions or which outreach you do or what scary place you go to to reach the lost. This is everything to do with your boldness in approaching the king. Because those are the ones that will see something that nobody else has seen before. That will experience his power like nobody else has experienced it before. That will have revelation like no generation has had revelation before. Because who knows, he hasn't revealed everything yet. Who believes that there's still something to discover in Scripture? Right? Who believes that, that, that yesterday's bread, yesterday's revelation is today's normal? Do you get that? 
So what are we stepping into? Because there's an acceleration coming in the Spirit that God wants to release over us because He wants to produce something through us that's going to shake the world, right? But it's going to come to those who can actually boldly step into that. Boldly approach the throne, right? And while I was standing in worship, and maybe that connects to with what you saw, that vision, while I was standing in worship, I literally felt this dark cloud come over the room and, and make a divide between us and God. I felt this disconnect suddenly in the worship, and I thought, what on earth is happening? Is it just, maybe it was just me. I don't know. I'm thinking, what on earth is happening right here? And this scripture came to mind, boldly approach the throne. And here's the thing. The one thing that I experienced during the worship was there's accusation sitting in the room. Massive accusation hanging over people's lives. And the one thing that would remove boldness to approach the throne is the spirit of accusation. Because there's an accuser of the brethren. And what does he try and do? He's constantly trying to tell you that you are not worthy to step into the promise that God has already given you. Isn't it bizarre? But the enemy is trying to go, hey, listen, you can't go to the throne of grace because you've done A, B, and C. Right? That's the voice of the enemy. And God goes, listen, I'm just waiting for you to come. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you coming? I paid the price. It has nothing to do with what you've done or didn't do. You see, it's got nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. Jesus paid the price. Then the enemy comes and he says, hey, you can't go there because you did A, B, and C. Doesn't that sound like Adam and Eve in the garden? Hey, Adam, Eve, I'm going to make you in my image and likeness. Right? Then the devil comes and says, do you want to look like God? That's bizarre, right? Hey, Adam, I made you in my image and likeness. The devil goes, do you want to look like, the, do you want to look like God? Then do this. What did God say? I already did it. What does the devil say? You need to do something to get what God already did. Isn't that weird? And, and we all fall into that trap and accusation comes, the spirit of accusation comes, and it's one of the biggest things, that's what I wrote here, it's one of the biggest things that will hold you or withhold you from the throne of grace. And that's actually what you need, right? Because in our time of difficulty, when we struggle, when we don't have it figured out, because who knows we don't have it figured out, right? We don't have it all figured out. We don't have our ducks in a row. We mess up, we say things we shouldn't say, think things we shouldn't think, but we are trying, right? And we want to break through. We don't have the breakthroughs we have. We don't see what we want to see yet in the Spirit. But we want to. Right? And God is saying, hey, come boldly to my throne. Fearlessly, courageously run into this place. And the Spirit of accusation comes and says, there's no way you can do that. Because you did A, B, and C. And accusation brings distance between you and the throne of grace. Because accusation makes me feel inferior. You understand? Accusation makes me feel like I did something wrong. I'm a mess. And the whole thing that comes with that. And suddenly, what, what do I lose? My boldness. One of the worst things for me as a parent is to see my children lose their boldness in front of me. And usually when they do, that means something is not right in their lives. There's been a breach in the relationship and they've lost their liberty in front of me. Right? Either because of a guilty conscience or maybe something I did. Our, our, the good part is God didn't do anything wrong, so this is just us. Right? So when you lose your boldness, it's usually because accusation came into your life. Right? Accusation is the enemy's counterfeit or counter to this verse. 
Accusation is the enemy's way of pulling you out of destiny and out of what God wants. Accusation keeps reminding you of what you did wrong. God has this amazing way of reminding you of what He did right. Which changes you. Right? Accusation is all about your flesh. Do you understand? Accusation is all about your old nature. It's reminding you of your old nature where God goes, you're a new creation in me. It shifts everything. Accusation keeps you out of the throne room. Right? And that's the very place where we actually get what we need to have the breakthrough. The difference between accusation and conviction. Right? Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us. Right? John 16. He convicts us of all righteousness and truth. Right? Accusation. What's the difference between these two? Because it's a fine line, but it's very necessary to know. Otherwise, we get confused. Accusation produces guilt and shame. Okay? So accusation always makes you go, I feel guilty, I feel, I feel ashamed, and suddenly I don't feel I can be near God or near people. So my boldness has been removed from me, right? I don't have the liberty that I used to have. Conviction brings hope and it gives direction. Massive difference. Right? When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, you have a sense of hope. It doesn't mean it's nice, <laughs> right? It's never nice to hear you were wrong. Do you agree? But when He speaks into your error, it, it produces hope and a sense of direction. It's like when He speaks, you know, all right, this is the next step. All right? Where accusation leaves you hanging. All it does is it pushes you deeper into this hole of, of guilt and shame. So you don't get out of it. But conviction actually makes you go, oh man, this sucks. God, I'm so sorry. And when, when you repent, what does he say? I forgive you of your sin. Right? Immediately you're forgiven. So suddenly hope will arise and what else? Direction will come. Do A, B, and C. You need to go and see that person. Fix this with that. Do this. Or just, you know, be quiet and wait. Do you get it? It's a big difference, right? Um, accusation will, I've mentioned that, will take you out of Hebrews 4, verse 16, the verse I just read. Conviction actually pushes you into the throne of grace. Do you understand? Anything that, that removes you from the throne of grace is not birthed out of the Spirit of God. That's pretty important. Anything that removes you from the throne of grace was not birthed out of God because the invitation is open. What does he say? You sinners come to the throne of grace boldly so that you can receive unmerited favor and grace. So that we can work on the issue at hand. Right? Accusation says you can't go there. I'm not worthy to go in there. I'm too guilty. I'm too shameful. I'm too sinful. I'm too... All of these things. That's a lie. Right? That's just not true. Accusation feeds off of your thoughts. Right? I just want to say that. So accusation feeds off of feelings and thoughts that's going around in your head. So when you contemplate over and over and over, and what if I said this, what if he said that, and I should have done this and this, you understand? That's a problem. Where conviction feeds off of the truth of Scripture. Big difference. It's a big difference. Right? We think ourselves into a hole, and that's where the accuser feeds. It's like he works in our thought life, and he wants to place these ideas in our head that's contradictory to Scripture. But the truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. 
truth pushes you into the throne of grace. Um, and obviously, on both sides, the accusation becomes a spirit, actually. Do you understand that? It's a spirit that keeps speaking over your life. And it keeps accusing you and reminding you over and over of what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you repent, that voice keeps coming back. Right? What does 1 John 1 verse 9 say? But if you repent, I will forgive your sins. Right? So if you've repented truthfully, and this voice keeps coming, reminding you, accusing you of what you've done, what spirit is that? Right? Is that the truth of Scripture? Or is that the thought of man? You understand? But if you repent, I will forgive you your sins. No, but you did this and this. So who's that voice? It's not God. Right? And what should that do in you? That should push you into the throne of grace. That should thrust you into a place of warfare where we go, that's enough now. I heard enough of you. And you start declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ over your life. Right? Because conviction leads to liberty. Conviction leads to liberty because He's the spirit of freedom, the spirit of liberty. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty, right? So unless liberty comes, then you know it's a different spirit operating and functioning. Okay? And I really sense this. Does it make sense to anybody? Because I'm on a track here and I hope it makes sense. Because I, I couldn't help standing in the worship. I'm just like, what's happening here? Right? And even I started feeling like this accusation. I'm like, oh, this is rubbish. <laughs> this is not right. You know? And I want to put it out there because it's, you know, we often think that we look at life and we look at the gospel and we look at all this stuff and we, we kind of go, you know, the enemy is going to trap us with pornography, which he can, or, or with drinking. or with, Sometimes it's just accusation, actually. It's stuff like that that actually gets you out of your destiny, out of the fullness of what God wants to produce in your life. Guilt and shame is such a killer of the flow of the Spirit. Accusation disconnects you from the throne of grace. Listen, and we're done without the throne of grace. Do you hear me? If you can't run there, then where do you run? Understand? That's all we have. <laughs> Otherwise, we can just as well start slaughtering goats again and hope for the best. You know what I mean? That's the whole point of the new covenant is that you actually have the perfect lamb that was sacrificed and the invitation is always open. The perfect high priest that made the perfect sacrifice according to the book of Hebrews. And this sacrifice spoke forever. Right? It speaks forever over all sin. And he says, whenever you need, just run. But accusation is the one thing that says, no, 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 I'm going to pull you out of that place because in that place there's liberty and if you are free, I'm in trouble. Do you understand? There's a breakthrough thing that God wants to produce. There's a deeper place in worship God wants to take you in. There's a deeper place in intimacy where He wants to position you, when he can, where He can actually start whispering His desires into your heart. That's what He wants to do. There's a place where God wants to go and He wants to whisper revelation into your ear that's going to change the world around you. It's like Paul 
Paul said, the gospel I preach, Galatians chapter 1 and 2 and 3, he says, the gospel I preach, listen, no man taught this to me, but it was a revelation received from Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you understand? That's the kind of revelation God wants to produce in our lives. He wants to whisper truth into us that can actually set people free around us. He wants to unveil, He wants to unlock the power of the cross and what's beyond the veil. He wants to show us those things, but as long as accusation rules in our heart, we're not going to step into that. Do you understand? The battle is oneness with God. That's the battle. Jesus said over and over in the book of John, He said, Thank you, Father, but we are one, even as they are one, that we are one, that they are one, we are one. Over and over you get this idea that Jesus is saying that we and Him, we are one, right? And what is the enemy trying to do? No, you're not one. You're far away. You can't get closer. You're, you're dirty. You're shameful. You're guilty. All of this stuff. Why? Because He knows. Remember what they said to Peter in the book of Acts? Right? They beat Peter because he was, him and John were just turning the city upside down again. And they all looked, all the smart guys, the theologians, bad, you know, the Pharisee guys. They kind of looked at Peter and John and, and, and Peter left. And apparently Peter, I mean, the book of Peter, the letter of Peter, his, his use of language was so bad that it was actually hard to translate to make sense of what he said. He really was not an educated man, right? He, he was just a rough fisherman. Keep that in mind, right? And, and then Peter unlocks this revelation from basically the book of Genesis all the way through to Jesus. And they all go, what? Remember the response? Remember what they said when Peter left? They looked at each other and they said, the only thing we can see is that this guy spent time with Jesus. That was it. We can see that this guy walked with Jesus. Because he's not an educated man, but boy, he just made sense. Right? What is the point? His nearness to Jesus produced revelation and life out of him. But accusation held him from it as well until Jesus came and he said, Peter, would you feed my lambs? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? What did Jesus do? He removed the denial that Peter did. The three times that he denied it, he gave him three chances to confess that Jesus is the love of his life. Isn't that awesome? Three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? How many times did he deny him? Three times. And then he says, go and feed my lambs. Go and feed my sheep. Right? Isn't it awesome? And that, that very guy that ran from everything is the guy that they go and they say, whoa, he spent time with Jesus. It rubbed off. <laughs> it rubbed off, right? The war is in getting closer, because in getting closer, there's a release of power, there's a release of identity, there's a release of revelation that he wants to produce, because he wants to tell you. Do you get that he actually wants to tell you who he thinks you are? He wants to tell you. He wants to show you what is in here, personally. He wants to reveal that to you. He wants to be the revelation that comes into your life so that things change, so that you see, that you look in a different way at the world around you. But then you need to be boldly going to the throne. You're going, ah, I messed up. I know. Did I ever tell you the story? I was a new, um, I'm still a new parent, but I was very fresh then. So uh, we had Emma, and then 15 months later we had Ben. That was very fast. So my wife needed a break. And uh, it was at the age where, you know, she could leave for a day or so and we wouldn't die. 
<laughs> without her. And uh, so Ben, I don't know how old he was, six months maybe or something like that. And Emma was, you know, close to two. And uh, so, we, we, you know, I'm running around. I, I was still doing a, a secular job back then. So I'm on my way to a meeting. And so I have Emma that's two years old and I have Ben that's six months old and she's out for the night or, you know, she went with a friend somewhere uh, in Cape Town. She, you know, had a sleepover or somebody's birthday or something. I don't even know. That sounds bizarre if I tell the story like that. She'll probably kill me. Oh, it was a birthday of one of our missionary friends that lived in Robertson, Cape Town. All right, so that's what she went for. So, um, so I have this meeting and, you know, I have the, my two-year-old under the arm and I have the pram in the other end or the, the car seat and, you know, it's Baba Suck, Duka Suck, you know Duka Suck. If you don't know it yet, you'll get to know it. So that thing is important, right? Because in there is, is nappies, uh, you know, the stuff that you put on the bum so that it doesn't burn, the, the, you know, the milk and the telament and all, you know, all, it's just, a, it's a lot of stuff. That bag's important, right? And I'm dropping them off at, at Oma and Opa, but I'm late. I'm in a hurry. And as I'm doing it, I, I have been in the one arm, Emma's between my legs, and I'm kind of, you know, no arms, and I just bump the car door, uh, you know, to get it closed. And Emma's fingers, it's in the door, right? And she is going ballistic. And I'm going, this is really bad, right? <laughs> this is not good. My wife's going to kill me. And, and she looks at me and she holds this little finger, this little blue-eyed thing. Man, she's so cute, ponytails and everything. And she's, I mean, she's just bawling. She's just crying terribly. And she holds her little finger like that. And she says, Daddy, you, do you know who did this? And I'm going, I know who did this. <laughs> you know? And at that point, there was a story about a wolf in our house. And anyway, so she goes and she says, the wolf did it. And I'm like, yes, you're right. The wolf did it, right? And I, anyway, I'm just holding her and I'm hugging her. And, and, and I go inside, but she's hysterical. This is not working well. My son has got, you know, anyway. So, so I decide to cancel the meeting, right? And I sit in my, I'll never forget it. I sit in the bed in my, my, my in-law's house and this little girl, she sits like her, her legs over me, and, and she, she looks at me with this little swollen finger, and she, and she just looks into my eyes, and she goes, Daddy, I'll never forget it. It just touched me. I just started weeping. She looks at me, and she says, Daddy, you can fix this. Please, you can fix this, right? And I'm just bawling, and I just hold her, and I just cancel everything. I just sat there with her for an hour or so. And she's just crying, and finally she falls asleep. And, and while she, the reason why I was crying is while she was doing it, I felt God speak to me. And he said to me, that's exactly how, how, how I want you to be with me. He says, never run from me when you have pain. I'm the only one who can fix it. Right? Never run from me. And that's the point. He wants to reveal himself to you. But if we don't run to the throne of grace, where will you run? Right? The minute that you feel you can't go there, you're in warfare. Does that make sense? The minute that you feel you lost your right to go there, you realize that you need to step into warfare. Okay? Because that's the accuser of the brethren that's coming against you. Okay? Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. Why? Because it has the power of salvation unto all men. So what is the gospel? Power. What is the gospel? Power unto salvation. It's power unto salvation. 
The gospel is power. And the minute that you feel you're powerless, it's not the Spirit of God. Because the gospel is power. It's the only thing that can deliver. It's the only thing that can set us free. It's the only thing that can heal us. It's the only thing that can raise the dead. It's the only thing that can heal your heart. The gospel is power. And therefore, we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of it because that's what it produces. Right? And the minute that you feel, I can't go there, that's not true. Then you lock onto the power of the gospel. Because it is the salvation of all. Right? Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter what problem you have. There's only one power that can save. Out of depression, out of family issues, out of relational issues, out of health issues, financial issues, there's only one power. And it's the power of the gospel. It's the only power. And the minute you turn away from that, we are in trouble. Right? Don't let accusations sit and say you can't go there. You can absolutely go there. You can absolutely go there. Right? Guilt and shame shouldn't be allowed in our lives. If you haven't repented, the Holy Spirit will convict you and you'll repent. Right? And there will be hope and direction. But then you need to open your life to Him and say, God, I trust you to search me. Find in me a pure heart. Show me where I've messed up. Show me what I need to do. Right? Did I read that right? Isn't that a beautiful verse? To everyone who believes. I like that verse. It's true. Right? It is the power of salvation. That word salvation is the word sozo. It means body, soul, and spirit. Restoration of all three parts of our being. It's not just the one part. It's all of it. Right? God envisioned every single part of your life into this thing of salvation. That's why he says, come boldly to the front. Just come. Why? Because I want to give you mercy and grace. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.